guys, it's Dominique here and I'm back with another episode of the Wise Words Podcast. I hope you guys are enjoying your 2023 so far. So far, I can say that 2023 has been a really great year. It's been, you know, even though it's only been a few weeks into the year, I feel like I'm already kind of tackling some goals. I feel like I'm getting in alignment with what God has for me. And hopefully you guys are feeling the same way about your new year. And if not, it's not too late (laughs) to get into alignment for the new year. So don't be discouraged. Don't feel like it's too late to start a fast or to seek God in prayer about what you want 2023 to look like and writing down goals and making sure that they're in alignment with his will for your life. But it's never too late, guys, to get things on track. Definitely. And so what I'm talking about in today's episode is actually a mental health or psychological term that I found out in this field I want to say I want sometime last year when I started my new job and it was something that I really hadn't paid a whole bunch of attention to whenever I was in school but it's actually a very powerful term and it's something that I can see happening in a lot of us whether we are just dealing with people on a regular day-to-day basis or whether we are walking you know in our you know Christianity and trying to connect with others in the community of Christ it's something that happens and when it happens we don't realize we're doing it and we have to be mindful of it so hopefully you guys learned something from the topic that I'm covering today don't forget to share this podcast with someone who you feel like it may enlighten or encourage and don't forget to give it a five-star rating especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. lastly don't forget to check out my book how to become a mentally fit Christian available on Amazon all right guys without further ado let's jump into today's episode Okay, guys, so if you hear me, just a little disclaimer, if you hear me clearing my throat a lot throughout this episode, just bear with your girl. Sinuses are kind of um, on and off with me here lately because of the weather. It changes like clockwork. I never know what to expect with the weather. Sometimes it's cold, sometimes it's hot, sometimes it's humid, sometimes it's not. So if you hear me clearing my throat a lot, just pray for your girl (laughs) and try to, you know, overlook it. But what I'm talking about today is rescuing and I know you guys probably saw that title. You was like rescuing. What do you mean? Like somebody who is rescuing me, like, you know, from harm's way or something like that. Well, that's also how I felt when I saw the term rescuing. I remember the first time I saw this term, um, you know, after school, after, you know, post-graduation, I'm in the field, I'm working. And this is how I realized that I forgot about it. Or that when I learned about it, it just kind of, you know, poof, (laughs) it kind of went away until I was able to like bring it back to my forefront of what it actually means. And I saw it and it was on a board as one of like the group expectations for like when you're having group therapy, you cannot rescue someone. And so a common question, like if anyone who has ever been in a um, group therapy process, sometimes they're going to ask, well, what's an example of rescuing? So an example of rescuing, like in a group therapy process, I'll give a like really plain um, regular day example. Let's say we're in a group and somebody's sharing something that is really, really tough and they like start to cry. And you see that they're getting teary eyed. They haven't asked for a tissue or anything, but they're they're fighting back tears and you get the tissue box and you, you know, offer them some Kleenexes. That's an example of rescuing. Now, I know that that's something that when you hear it, you're like, well, what's wrong with that? You know, clearly they're about to cry, right? Clearly they are struggling with whatever they're sharing. 
And I say this because I was someone who did this, right? <laughs> and I ain't saying that I did this even in school. I know for a fact that I did it while I was learning the terms, like when you have to take a group therapy class in school. But like I said, once you guys, there's so much time between graduation and then actually working in the field, some stuff sticks with you. And then some stuff, it has to literally be brought back to your forefront for you to remember, oh man, this is something that I got to, you know, keep in mind. It wasn't brought back to my forefront until I was working and I had rescued um, someone who was actually like helping me lead the group. And I realized I was like, oh, darn, I just rescued. And one of the kids <laughs> that I was working with kind of called me out on. And I was like, I did rescue. And I just thanked them for like calling me out because that is what rescuing may look like. Now, that's just a, a simple example. When we think about the definition of rescuing, um, going off of like the psychological or, um, you know, the mental health counseling term of rescuing, it is doing things for others that they are capable of doing themselves, making it easier for others to continue their unhealthy behaviors, helping others avoid the consequences of their actions, doing more than your share of the work, taking responsibility for other people, trying to solve their problems. So let's go back to the um, Kleenex example. Even though, you know, if we were just looking at it in plain sight, that would be like, oh, somebody offered me a Kleenex. That makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm hurt. It makes me feel like, you know, they actually care about the fact that I'm about to cry. Looking at it from a standpoint, you know, in psychology, it's basically you trying to solve that person's problem, right? Or you're trying to make it easier, you know, for them. You're doing something that they're capable of doing themselves. And the reason why it's it's something to really keep in mind is what I had to learn as a therapist. Like if I rescue somebody and I give them a box of tissue or I give them a Kleenex without them asking for it, I could be sending them the message of, you know, even though I know you can do this for yourself, I'm going to do it for you, which in turn can, you know, lead to some, you know, enabling. And, you know, when you enable someone, it's like you're almost kind of giving them a pat on the back or a pass for certain behaviors or certain things. When really what we're trying to embody, especially in group therapy, is you want everyone to practice that autonomy of being able to like, you know, stand up for themselves or do for themselves or ask for stuff when they need it rather than trying to assume that someone's going to read their mind and say, oh, they know that I need this. So they're going to get it for me. Does that make sense? Because I know a lot of people, when you try to explain rescuing to them, they get it and they stay, they're, they're kind of conflicted, right? Which is one of my first points. Rescuing can be a conflicting thing because you may look at it as, well, you're making it seem like it's bad. It's not bad if you get, offer somebody a Kleenex, right? If they're crying. You know, you're not in a sense rescuing. It's bad in a sense of therapy because what you're trying to teach them is, Hey, if you need something, you can ask for it or you are capable of getting it or trying to do it yourself is what you're trying to teach someone in the process of therapy. So you want to avoid rescuing in that light setting. Oh, so we know that rescuing is like basically when we are, like I said, taking responsibility for someone else's actions or doing something for others that they're capable of doing themselves. Like the tissue example. Somebody is perfectly capable of getting a tissue or Kleenex for themselves if they are, you know, needing to cry or whatever. Not to say that we can't do that in the terms of like just being nice or kind, but we know that 
when it comes to, you know, psychology or healing or trying to practice better mental health practices, especially if you're someone that's in therapy or you're considering, you know, joining a, a group therapy um, of some sort, because they do have adult um, group therapies. They have child group therapies. They have a lot of different groups. And I, for one, think that group therapy is very effective. But, um, you know, it takes a, another level of vulnerability. And with that vulnerability, you have to learn how to be responsible and capable of taking care of yourself and voicing what you need. And so a lot of times when we get into this habit of rescuing others or wanting people to rescue us, we do that because either one, which is one of my points, is that we're afraid to say what we need or we don't know how to say what we need. Have you ever been in a position where you know what you need from someone and you know what you want, but you don't know how to ask for it or you don't know how to say it because you're afraid of how they'll react or you're afraid that you won't receive it or you're not going to, or your need is not going to be met. That can lead to that whole, that rescuing mentality of I want somebody to rescue me, right? Same thing going back to, this is why I like the tissue or the Kleenex example, because it's, I mean, it's so practical and simple, simple, but it does explain the concept, right? I mean, a person who is teary eyed and about to cry knows that they need a tissue and so if they are afraid to ask for it you they would have to ask themselves why am I so afraid to ask someone to give me a Kleenex or or ask if I could get a tissue for myself what is keeping me from asking for what I need even though I'm fully aware that I need it and it's very visible that I need it right and what we don't want to do is when we are you know getting into this new mentality of we're trying to heal we're trying to you know improve our mental health we don't want to have this rescuing tendency we don't want to expect people to rescue us and we don't want to be expected to rescue others um it goes back to what it's kind of talking more about in these and there are different websites and articles that you can look up um when it's talking about psychology and just type in rescuing maybe on google but it'll pop up a lot of different um resources that you guys can look at but um one thing that I saw that kind of stuck out to me was saying how rescuing tends to start or intensify after someone has felt or been abandoned. And so rescuing is a means of feeling connected to others. So it's basically like filling in that void or that gap that someone, you know, that you may have felt because you were abandoned in a previous relationship or somebody let you down or didn't fulfill your needs before. And that's also why a lot of us like to rescue other people because we know the feeling of not having our needs met so we want to make sure oh nobody else feels that feeling right which again doesn't mean that you're a bad person it does mean that you have a good heart and it's one of those things that you have to use mild you know very mindfully and sparingly you have to be careful with it because if you're not careful it can lead to resentment it can lead to regrets and it can lead to codependency. If we are not careful, which is my biggest point here with the mental health perspective, if we are not careful to identify when we're rescuing others or when we're wanting to be rescued, then it can lead to codependency, resentment and regret. Why can it lead to codependency? Well, because think about it, you know, you're depending on someone to rescue you. You're depending on someone to basically fulfill your needs that you're capable of fulfilling or you're capable of doing. You're well and able to get the Kleenex yourself. However, because you haven't had a need met before, you feel like, oh, I have to, you know, ask someone else to do it for me. I have to ask someone else to fulfill this need because I deserve it. Right. Or, you know, in the sense of just 
going back to where the definition was saying, you know, taking responsibility for other people and trying to solve their problems. This is another codependent thing, which a lot of people tend to forget that with codependency. If you didn't listen to my codependency episode, I did that like way back when I first started the podcast. Go back and listen to it. I may do a part two to it because now even I have learned so much. I've actually done like recent trainings um, for continuing education as a therapist that have even shown me a whole different side of codependency. So I may do a part two. Just saying, guys, may bring a therapist on (laughs) for that one, too, as well. But TBD anyways. But going back to the whole take responsibility for other people and trying to solve their problems that's a whole nother form of rescuing you are not somebody's savior right you can't solve somebody else's problem and you can't expect someone to solve all your problems and that's kind of like the basis of codependency a lot of times codependent people will find themselves trying to fix everybody else's problem because they it's a way for them to kind of defend themselves and protect themselves because they don't want to look at their own problems they don't want to look at what they've got going on or what's wrong with them right and so it leads to that resentment because let's say that you do rescue someone so let's just go back to the tissue box example let's say you do give somebody a tissue and then let's just say for the sake of the scenario they don't say thank you you're gonna and then you continue to do it every time you they get ready to cry you give them a tissue they never say thank you what's going to happen is resentment is going to take form in your heart and you're going to feel like you know what this person is you know ungrateful they don't appreciate me i give them a tissue every time they're about to cry and they don't say thank you they are not appreciative but rewind was it your responsibility to give them the tissue you didn't have to give them the tissue or the kleenex they are capable of doing it for themselves. You were rescuing them. And now because they're not showing you the, um, you know, response that you're wanting or, you know, the gratitude or whatever the case may be that you're looking for, you know, in return, now you feel resentful. And then that leads to regret, right? Now you regret ever just giving the person a tissue box. But then this goes a deep, it goes way further. I hope you guys are tracking along, but it all makes perfect sense psychologically. Like it it goes deeper. So now instead of you being resentful, it's going a little bit further. And now you regret just giving people clean nets at all. Now you're like, you know what? I will never give somebody, I will never offer somebody a clean nets when they're about to cry ever again because people are just horrible. They're unappreciative. They don't deserve my kind heart does any of this sound familiar (laughs) to some of you who are listening even though you may have not been in the exact same scenario of the you know offering someone a tissue and they not saying thank you or whatever in this term of rescuing but maybe you've tried to rescue people before in your life in a different way and it's just bit you in the butt because rescuing is not effective it is okay to empathize with somebody and connect with them What is not okay is taking responsibility for their actions or trying to fix their problems for them. We have to be able to give people that autonomy to, you know, figure out their own thing, to, you know, figure out why they, you know, need what they need or why they need to do what they need to do. Okay. You have to be able to do that. You have to give people that, that space, because if you don't, then what's going to happen is. They're going to end up, you know, always depending on you to fix their problems or always depending on you to be the solution. And that's not no human can bear that responsibility, which brings me to my next point. Nobody is nobody's savior, which is also a great way, a great segue to lead to the spiritual perspective part of this. We are not anybody's savior. 
Um, I don't know if you guys have heard the Kendrick Lamar song, Savior, but I love that song, of course, because I love Kendrick Lamar, but I love the intro too, because it talks about, you know, he's just going through the intro and he's talking about all these really great icons and stuff, but he is not your savior is what he's saying in the song. And I like that song because it kind of goes into a deeper perspective of you can't hold people to this like really um, unreasonable pedestal, basically. Like you have to be realistic. You have to, you know, let people understand that, hey, I, even though I want to help you, even though I want to, you know, be there for you, I'm not your savior. There's only one savior and that's Jesus Christ. That's why he died for our sins. That's why, you know, we worship him. That's why we honor him because he can save us. God can save us. A human can't. A human does not have that capacity to do that. So if you're someone who has noticed that you've been a rescuer or you've been expecting people to rescue you, then this will be a great time to kind of stay, take a step back, excuse me, and reflect on, you know, where is that coming from? Because again, it all has a root. It all comes from one instance where we felt like our needs were not fulfilled or our needs were met. And when you're able to identify that, the next step is trying to figure out, okay, so how can I meet my needs? How can I fulfill my own needs without having to expect someone else to do it for me? Which is going to be a lot of work. And it can be a lot of tough work too, because it's a lot of hard work. It goes back to going back to childhood. It goes back to like really self-deep reflection and it's doable. It's just depending on how bad you want to be healed, how bad you want your mental health to be in a better place. Okay, so now jumping into the spiritual perspective of rescuing, um, I think that what I just said, you know, at the end of the uh, first part of the mental health perspective was a great segue into this because it just goes back to what I was saying, guys. You know, we cannot be each other's saviors. We're not each other's gods. We cannot solve everybody's problems for them. We can help people. And that's a difference. You know, there's a difference in trying to help someone and then trying to be their savior and fix their problems all the time. We typically see a lot of rescuing, you know, parents with their children. Parents want to rescue their children from everything. And I'm not a parent. I am a child, though. So I can attest to how, you know, parents, I, I can honestly say, I believe that my parents probably want to protect me from every little thing or probably have always had that in their heart. They want to protect me from everything, you know, bad and having to radically accept that they can't protect me from every bad thing in the world, which is probably a really scary reality for parents. And it all goes back to them putting their trust in God, like praying and, you know, asking God to protect me and keep me from things, you know. And if I do have to be exposed to something that's not so great, whether it's heartbreak, whether it's some traumatic event, that I'm able to bounce back and recover from it in a positive and effective way, you know. And so, I mean, parents have that, you know, fear and parents can't protect their kids from everything. Parents can't rescue their kids from everything. Because what happens is if you always trying to rescue the child, the child never knows how to deal with adversity and then when adversity does come and they can't be rescued their world crumbles kind of goes back to how our walk is with god and christianity you know i know that there are a lot of people who are like especially if you're someone who's listening and you're new to the faith you may be thinking well why does god let bad things happen to christians i mean we're serving him ain't we supposed to have an easy life ain't wrong <laughs> being a christian does not mean you're gonna have an easy life it does not mean that you're never gonna have a another trouble ever again it's actually uh, i hate to say it i feel like it means the opposite i, I feel like it means like you're gonna go through trials and adversity and they're all a test to prove that god is with you and that god is not leaving you because the thing is, is that I feel like if God doesn't give us these adversities or these tests, then where does the faith part come in? Where do we get to actually test? Hey, does God, you know, is God real? Is he hearing me? Unless we go through a trial or two and then we realize, oh, there he is. He popped up or he showed up in the nick of time. 
So I think it is, you know, worth trying to explore again, where the needs and having to have them fulfilled comes in. Like, where did that come from? Where did that start? And how is that still manifesting itself to this day? And one other thing that I will say is, you know, going back to now we're going to bring the Bible into this. Yay. (laughs) Going back to just talking about how we're not each other's saviors. You know, in Christianity, there may be this urge to also rescue others because, you know, we are thinking in our minds like that's my brother or sister in Christ. You know, I need to help them. However, we are not God. And this is where it gets a real slippery slope in Christianity. You can help someone and you can, you know, allow someone to, you know, see your walk with God, maybe model for them what, you know, what works for you. But one point that I'm going to bring up is that everybody's relationship with God is unique and different. So that means that the way that God talks to you and the way that God speaks to someone else is going to be completely different. Also, you know, how God saves or how God rescues someone else may not be what you had in mind. And it may be what he has for their life because we all have our own individual plans for our lives. So what I would say is, you know, if you're a Christian who's struggling with always trying to jump in and rescue someone or save someone, take a step back and remember that you are not God, right? And remember that you're only responsible for your own things, right? Your own actions and behaviors. And that's Bible. Galatians 6 and 5 says, for we are responsible for our own conduct, conduct, meaning behavior, actions, etc. So we're going to give an account for what we did, not for what we did for someone else when it comes to God. God cares about what we do, not what we do for, you know, someone else in the terms of like trying to fix their problems. No, because that's his job. Now, if you're trying to bless someone, if you're trying to help someone, if you're trying to encourage someone that's different, especially, you know, we're leaning out of the psychological uh, frame of it now. Now, we, we can talk about it in like terms of church. You want to pray for someone? That's great. You want to, you know, oh, and that's actually a really good example of rescuing because let's talk about prayer. Prayer is great. It is awesome to pray for someone else. And there still needs to be, it goes back to autonomy and teaching people responsibility. You have to let someone know that they got to be able to pray for themselves. I always see these posts about how people are talking about, you know, my grandmother's prayers are saving me and my mother's prayers. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And are you praying for yourself? Because grandma and grandpa and mama and daddy's prayers aren't going to take you so far unless you're praying for yourself. Even I know that. That's why I pray on my own. I'm glad that I have grandparents and parents and a family and a village of mentors and people that I've met in church who are covering me in prayer is the best feeling ever. And it's still my job to pray myself. And I think as Christians, we get that really, you know, twisted at times. We feel like when we go for intercessory, then it takes the load off of us. Now, granted, there are some times where we have prayer fatigue. I did an episode on that. Prayer fatigue is real. We do get tired. We do get weary. And that's where we still have to lean on and remember that we got to declare it from our own mouth. You know, we have to say for ourselves, like, okay, I have to declare the word, (laughs) you know, over my own life. I have to, you know, speak and pray. And the thing is, when you pray to God, if you are that weary and you feel like you just can't pray no more, you can't do it. He will give you strength. One of my favorite scriptures is Isaiah 40 and 31, where it says, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Um, I really love that one. Um, There's also another verse, you know, that kind of 
says the exact same thing, but I love those things because it just talks about how the Lord knows that we get tired. He knows that we get fatigued and he hears that and he knows that he's going to still be there for us. I believe that God wants us to pray for ourselves. He wants us to pray for others and it is not our responsibility to fix other people's problems. Go back to the whole rescuing thing. We're not rescuing people. God is going to rescue us. We need to allow God to be God in people's lives. So am I saying, you know, don't pray for your brother and sister? No, please pray for others. And, you know, am I saying that you can never receive prayer from others? No, it's okay to receive prayer from others. If somebody in the church wants to pray for you, please let them pray for you and take the responsibility to pray for yourself and let someone else like gently let people know like the ones that you're praying for like hey i hope that you're praying i hope that you're touching the green that's what i like to say nowadays now i have fixed it from where i say you know pray for this or pray for that to i ask will you guys touch and agree with me because then that's a different statement and i feel like that puts more of the frame of mind that hey I'm not just asking y'all to pray for this and then I I ain't going to do none of this and take my hand off of it. I'm actually praying too and I want us to pray together because the Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst, right? And so what is the scripture reference for that? Um, I think it's Matthew 18, 24, where two or three, yeah, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. So yeah, when we gather together in intercessory prayer, God is there, right? So it doesn't mean that you just have to dump it on someone and then you go about your merry way, especially, and this is where I say it all kind of ties in together, the mental health with the spiritual health. That's why I feel like a lot of Christians have codependent ways and they're resentful and they're regretful because they'll be rescuers, right? They'll pray for someone. They'll pray up and down for them, up and down, up and down, praying for them all the time. And guess what that person doing? They know you're praying for them and they still sinning. (laughs) They still messing their life up. They still, you know, doing what they want to do, right? And then the whole time you're sitting here and you're like, what was the freaking point, right? Now you're regretful. Now you're resentful. You're like, why in the world did I do it in the first place, right? You know, why in the world did I even pray in the first place? I mean, it just, it seemed like it was pointless, right? It seems like it didn't work at all or that it wasn't really, you know, worth anything or like it didn't work. And my thing is, is that it doesn't mean that your prayers were in vain. It just means that that's not your responsibility. That person should have been praying on their own. That person should have learned how to pray for themselves, how to take account for their sins and how to turn from their wicked ways and repent and change. And that's not your job. But that's what happens as Christians. We pray and we pray and pray again. I feel like parents are a really good example for this. You know, they got a child that ain't trying to align with their, you know, with their faith and stuff like that. And so they praying, they praying and the kid just still doing what they want. The kid still, you know, sending the kid still, you know, selling drugs or smoking weed or doing whatever the case may be. And parents are just resentful and regretful. And it's like, no, don't be resentful in your prayers. Cause I've won. God wants us to pray with an honest heart anyway, and a pure heart, right? Renewing us a clean and pure heart and a steadfast spirit. Like God doesn't want us to go with a grudging heart in prayer. However, you know, this is what happens when you get into the habit of always trying to rescue somebody and not teaching people how to rescue themselves. It's like the oxygen mask, right? When a plane crashes, put your own oxygen mask on first before you put on someone else's. Perfect example of rescuing. If you put on somebody else's oxygen mask before you put on your own, you're going to pass out. Okay? 
they're living that's awesome you're dead now right like i mean i ain't never been in a plane crash scenario so i don't know what happens but i mean the point is you got to save your own life right you got to be responsible for yourself you can't be responsible for someone else and it doesn't mean that you're a bad person which is my next point a lot of christians get this misconception that if they you know don't be in a rescuing mode if they're not always trying to help someone or always trying to you know save someone from their problems or fix their fix someone else's problems then they don't have a heart of God. I do not believe that. I believe that you can have a heart of God and still set those healthy boundaries, right? Taking care of yourself. Because the thing is, is that God wants to be God in our life. He does not want us to take his place. He doesn't want us to try to do the things that he can only do. You can't save someone from their addiction. You can't save someone from their bad habits, you can't save someone from their traumatic cycle. The only people who can save them is them. So hopefully when I'm saying this, it's resonating with you guys that maybe you have been, you know, in a rescuing mode. If you have, there's no harm, no foul. It happens to the best of us. But you got to realize that there's no good that's going to come from you always rescuing. You have to learn how to let people rescue themselves and then how to take care of yourself, how to be responsible for your own actions and your own um, behaviors, not the behaviors or actions of others. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with praying, praying for people. So please continue to intercede for people. Continue to, you know, meet in the middle, stand in the gap, pray for those who you care about and gently tell them, pray for themselves too, because that's, what's important, right? So hopefully after I've taught you guys about rescuing, it makes sense in both perspectives because we don't want to get into the habit of rescuing all the time. We want to be able to take care of ourselves and lend a helping hand and help people and not get into that cycle of trying to fix everybody else's problems. All right, guys, that concludes this episode of the Wise Words Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something from it. Don't forget to share this podcast with someone who you feel like you may enlighten and encourage. Or don't forget to give it a five-star rating if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, guys, I love you guys. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. And until next time, peace.